Friday, hour number three. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, and joining me now is Marjorie Eastman. She is running for U.S. Senate here in North Carolina in the Republican primary, which is tomorrow. So if you haven't early voted, you can go tomorrow. Marjorie, welcome to the program. How are you? Great. Great to be with you. Sure. So uh, how's the campaign going so far? Oh, my goodness. It is incredible. I am so energized. And you've probably talked about this a little bit with your listeners. I mean, so many people are undecided still, and they want something different. They're tired of career politicians. And that's where I'm able to talk with people and, and, and just they can understand they have another option. I'm the outsider. I'm the combat veteran. I'm the mom in this race. And we have to get to work. So let me ask you about that as a uh, as a pro or a con, because obviously there are people who look uh, will look at being quote outsider as a pro. Although I think McCory considers himself an outsider as well. But but uh, <laughs> there might be some uh, there might be some bit of a learning curve, right? That if you don't know how things are done and you don't have relationships that have been built, it's going to take you a while to try to get stuff done for the constituents. Is there a downside to being an outsider? I'm telling you, the downside is the fundraising part, um, because there is so much money in this race, and it's ridiculous. And it's it's funny when McCrory says he's an outsider, but we all know he's been in politics since 1989. Mm-hmm. I don't know where you were in 1989, but I wasn't in politics. I mean, so we, you know, for me being the outsider, it's all positive, because it's that definition of insanity. You know, you're not going to get different results if you don't send different people so why would we send any of these politicians back to fix the mess that they've created? So in your view, then, anybody who is so an insider is somebody who's been involved in politics? Because so full disclosure, in 1989, I was in ninth grade. So, no, I wasn't into politics at that point. But <laughs> when I started work here 10 years after that, 99, um, I covered city council and Pat was the mayor. And so I, he was the mayor for seven terms. Um so I, I, so does that count, that counts as insider for D.C.? I'm telling you, that is decades and decades of IOUs and, you know, the, the party and the establishment. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's what we are all just sick and tired of. And it's not the way the founders intended. I believe in term limits. I'm one of the leading candidates in the U.S. Senate race that believes you're supposed to go and do a tour of duty and then you go home and the next person comes up. People that stay there forever, career politicians are the rot in our democracy right now. And everybody knows that. So that's why we have such incredible momentum in these final few days as so many are undecided because they're pulling my direction. They want the fresh voice and they want to get our country back on track again. So, I mean, that's assuming they hear your voice, right? Because you were not allowed at a couple of the debates. I think you did participate in a couple, but you you were not invited to all of them. Even though Ted Budd was invited to all of them and never showed for any of them, I think Sherry Beasley is uh, she's kind of taking the same approach. She has a whole bunch of opponents on her side in the Democrat Party, uh, and nobody's asking her to debate, apparently. Uh, so maybe this is sort of the new normal. We don't ever get to have we, we as voters will never get to have debates before well, we vote. I'm telling you, we as voters can say no way and we can reject that. Look, I, I mentioned to you early on, you know, our conversation, I'm the only combat veteran and military spouse in this race. And my time in the military taught me a lot. But one of the most important things I've learned is that leaders show up. 
And the fact that Bud hasn't been to any of the debates, he's hardly anywhere across the state at all the events. I've seen him a handful of times in seven months. I mean, that's the problem here. And, you know, people, again, they are looking for someone that not only is different, but they realize we have to win in November. You mentioned Sherry Beasley. Now, I'm telling you this. Everyone's seen the negative ads with these guys, and they're all throwing mud at each other. And you know what they're doing? They're all filling up Sherry Beasley's ammo box for November, and she's going to use that mud on them. And that's why, again, people see that I'm the candidate that can beat Sherry Beasley in November, and that's why we're getting so many people polling and voting Eastman. Why, so why do you think you can beat Sherry Beasley in the amount of outside money that's going to be dumped on you if you clear the primary, if you, if you beat Ted Budd? That, the amount of money that's going to be dumped on you is going to be um, just uh, incomprehensible. And so why do you think that makes you uh, the better candidate, just because you don't have the negative ads in the primary coming at you? I don't have the negatives, period. And I say that with all humility. I mean, my background is one in the military. I'm a military spouse. I'm a business leader, leader that's helped veterans start and grow businesses. I'm a mom with a little boy that beat cancer at six months old. I can speak to the issues that are just so important and that are going to be making people decide, you know, whether it's our price of gas right now, whether it's this, what went on with the Roe v. Wade. I mean, everything. I can speak to these issues with strength and with sincerity that the career politicians cannot do. And that's why Sherry Beasley is going to beat them. And we can't let that happen. So on uh, so filibuster, yes or no to blowing it up and packing the Supreme Court, yes or no, or codifying Roe v. Wade? We, no, we should not uh, get rid of the filibuster. And no, we shouldn't pack the Supreme Court. And when it comes to Roe v. Wade, I mean, this is so important for us to talk about. There are thousands of people showing up for pro-abortion for protests all through our state, all through the country. This has completely mobilized the far left. And what's important, again, I'm the mom in this race. I've had a baby. I almost lost my baby to cancer. I can speak to this issue with strength and sincerity that the career old hired politicians cannot speak to. And that is so important right now. We've got to send the right person. And quite frankly, we have to send someone that knows security. My background in security is what we need when it comes to the chaos at the border, when it comes to what's going on overseas here at home with crime. I'm the only candidate that has a background in security, and we need to get that right. So you said you're, you can speak to this. So what? So would you seek to codify Roe versus Wade at a federal level? Well, I think we absolutely need to have this conversation right now. Yeah, we're doing it. And that's the point. Our country has are now we are saying, wait a second. Everyone thought that this was in cement, that this is the way it was always going to be. But now, I mean, as conservatives, we always want decision making at the lowest level, at the local level, in the family, in the home. You know, we have to keep that decision making local. And that's what I'm going to support, because that's why that's why conservatism works so well is that we need the government out of our lives. We don't need the government telling us what to do. They've been doing that excessively over the last two years through the pandemic. And again, if we want more of that, then we need to go vote for one of these politicians that are in the race. 
All right, so that's what they represent. So what I hear you saying then is that no codification of Roe versus Wade in federal law. Is that correct? I do not believe that we need to to, to relitigate right now where we are at. I think when I I'm telling you when I'm talking with North Carolinians, they're telling me about gas prices. They're telling me about grocery prices. They're telling me about the, their concerns for crime and the border, and just overall. Our children, what are our children being taught right now? Because our priority should be helping our children regain momentum, period. Right, but you just, that should but, be our focus. forgive me, but you just said that this issue has mobilized the pro-abortion side. So Absolutely. this is a debate that is now going to occur. So, uh, so I'm asking. It's a debate we, that the left wants to have. And that's the thing. Our state, we have a majority if we if we invite the unaffiliated to be part of our party, and that's what a lot of people don't realize. If you are registered unaffiliated, you can vote in the Republican primary tomorrow. You can decide to come and vote and crash the party. And because we know the unaffiliated are center-right, they have the same uh, values match. They want less government. They want free markets. They want peace through strength. And so that's what we need to be doing as a party is getting our arms around all the people that have a values match and then focusing on what pe- what North Carolinians truly care about and not get pulled away to these sidebars and distractions. How, but how is that a distraction? You, like I said, you just said it's a mobilization on the left. The debate is here. This is the whole point. You said we should have the debate. And I and forgive me, I keep asking this question and I am unaffiliated. And so I like... I, I'm asking this question, and it, and all I'm seeking is an answer as to whether or not it should be codified at a federal level. Well, I believe I answered your question. You said it was up to the families at the at the lowest level possible, local level possible. So, does that board, if it ever came through the Senate, you would be opposed to any kind of federal codification of of abortion? Well, that's that's the point. This is going to be pushed into the Senate. We already saw it this last week. Joe Manchin, he was the one that said, nope, not voting. And, and and that's the whole point why this Senate race is so important. Our Senate is deadlocked right now at 50-50. And everybody knows how North Carolina is going to tip. If we can win in November, it's going to tip the Senate left or right. It's one of the top three races everyone's watching. And again, that's why we have to vote the right person in tomorrow that can win in November. And that's why I'm asking your listeners, I want to earn your vote because we have too much at stake. We have to win and we cannot let this state go. MarjorieKEastman.com is the website. MarjorieKEastman.com. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. All right. Take care. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thanks again to Marjorie Eastman for spending some time here on the program. I was, look, I was not attempting to badger her or anything. I was perfectly willing to, you know, move on. I just, I I had the question, I had the three questions. I asked them like as yes, no questions, and then it didn't seem like I got a an answer on the third one about do we codify at the federal level? Because that's what the Democrats were pitching, right? They, that's what they wanted to do. They said with the... Women's Health Care Protection Act and uh, or Women's Health Protection Act. The, and um, 
And so I was just curious if if that was something she would be interested to sign on with the Democrats to do. And she said, no, it should be at like the local individual level, which almost sounds then like, okay, between a woman and her doctor, which means you can't, you can't regulate, legislate anything like that. And so I just, I wasn't clear. And frankly, I am still not clear. So I don't, I don't know. I got, and I got a message here that asked, uh, Pete, did she ever state her opinion on abortion? I missed it. Uh, no. So, I, because I don't know. You got this. One of the things, if you are going to ask to be a participant in the arena, I got to know that you're going to walk towards the fight. And I'm not sure I got that answer that you're walking towards the fight. And there are probably reasons for it. There are probably consultants or whatever that say, look, don't touch the issue, just leave it alone. And you can get through the primary and through the general election without, you know, having to, I don't know, debate that or touch it or whatever. I don't know. But that the answers that I kept hearing, they were, it, it, they were, there were awkward pivots and stuff in there. This, and look, I, I said this the last time after the debate, when I broke down the debate between her and uh, McCrory and Walker, there were these pivots that, didn't seem natural. They seemed forced and awkward. And part of that's just not being, you know, a politician. There's not an insider, not experienced like that. And I get that. Um, but I thought it was a pretty straightforward question. Do you support codifying Roe v. Wade? And, and I didn't get an answer. So, and I don't know what that means, by the way. And I'm not telling you to vote for or against or based on that. That was just why I kind of got hung up on it because I was ready to move to other topics and then I just felt like I couldn't. Um, I have a couple of messages here that I will read on uh, various topics here, going back to the interview that we did with that other Senate candidate, uh, B.K. McGinnis and his best friend, Bear. Uh, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll read some of that. Yeah, because he continued. It doesn't matter. Uh, but a couple of messages on that, as well as uh, we'll get back to this uh, uh, Buffalo Massacre story. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a message here from Katie who says, wait, is Marjorie Eastman pro-choice? I am confused. I don't know. Katie, I, I don't know. I I went to her website uh, during the break there and I was looking through and there's there's no mention of the issue. So for whatever reason, she's not, she does not want to engage on that topic and maybe there's a political benefit you're trying to get the unaffiliated to come over to your camp to come into the republican primary and as she said right crash the party so maybe that's the plan she doesn't want to alienate the problem is you got other people that are now prob- probably going to be alienated by not knowing where you stand and if a vote comes to the u.s senate that would quote codify roe v wade at the federal level then I don't know which way she would go on that. And for people who vote on that issue, that's important. <laughs> so that's why, that's why I asked. Um, what was the other one that I had here? It was on the, was it? here it is, from Susan. Pete, I was fascinated listening to B.K. McGinnis. He was the Democrat U.S. Senate candidate that we listened to or had the interview with on, what was that, Friday? Thursday or Friday? Um, it was, I was fascinated. She says, uh, listening to BK verbally run away from you standing in one place. 
he <laughs> his agonized logic and attempts to ignore the meaning of the words he tried not to say were truly unenlightening. But it did help explain why his Democrat peers don't want anything to do with him. I'm glad you spent so much time with him. Your interview was very enlightening. Poor Democrats. By the way, she says, thanks for your interview with Pat McCrory. I was driving to the polls to vote for Bud rather reluctantly. I wanted to support Trump's choice, but rather unhappy with some of his endorsements. I listened to McCrory. I liked his rhetoric and I changed my mind. Pat got my vote. Thanks for the chance to hear some of these candidates and your very educational analysis. Thank you, Susan. I do appreciate it. Um, Jay said the other day, Pete, I did the exact same thing you did. Went in the Democrat primary and voted against McFadden, the sheriff. I've known him since 98. I could not believe his arrogance in the clips you played. That was from the uh, the FOP debate. Uh, Dennis said, Pete, thanks for describing all of the intricate psychological evaluations describing a human condition called TIV the other day, tendency for interpersonal victimhood. I met a lot of these types of people during my life, and I always just referred to them as buttheads. Could you explain if there is any difference between these two terms? Thank you very much. There is not actually a difference between the two terms. Um, let me see here. There was another clip. Or no, all right. So that was on the, uh, right, yeah, this is on the, the Buffalo thing. So I'll, well, I guess I'll do that. I'll pivot over to the Buffalo massacre uh, that occurred over the weekend. And this is from David, who says, Pete, why is the race of the victim victims, perpetrator perpetrators, only shared with the public by the media when a police officer kills a black person or anybody but another black person kills a black person? He says it's a rhetorical question. uh, But he says it should provoke a serious answer. Right. And I think I, uh, I mentioned a little bit about this earlier, which is this this. There is a prism by which media filters stories, this racial lens. And part of it is um, sort of a sense of the underdog that I feel bad for these people. And so I'm going to help them by telling their stories. Okay, that, that is a very real thing that reporters engage in, that they feel... Uh, empathy, sympathy for somebody or whatever, an issue, and they want to give it voice. They want to tell that story. They come into the meetings and pitch it, right? They they pitch the story to their colleagues. Please let me go cover this story. I feel like this is a good story, which in and of itself betrays the bias, right? The fact that you, and I'll say that as a as an insult, we all have them. That's why you need a newsroom with ideological diversity because somebody coming in and if they're always pitching the same kind of story through the same kind of lens, well, you end up with some of the TV stations we have here in Charlotte where literally every single news story is told through that prism of oppressed person, you know, raising their voice, speaking back, whatever. And that's the news quote unquote story. So there's part of that, this underdog, this, uh, you know, looking out for the little guy. I'm going to help this person who is oppressed or uh, beaten down, downtrodden, whatever word you want to use. Right. And, and so we're going to we're going to help that person along to to 
comfort the afflicted, right? And afflict the comfortable, the old journalism axiom. So a long time ago, they started changing some of these things. I noticed it. And by the way, there was a lot of criticism that would come from black leaders about how media would always put the mug shots on TV or do the uh, suspect descriptions and that these were um, uh, overly focused on uh, black men and that this created a perception that black men are committing all the crime because you don't see any of the white male mug shots. Of course, the data bear out the reason why you don't see as many white male mug shots in Charlotte, at least, because I can tell you, you go up into Western North Carolina, you see a lot of white male mug shots. <laughs> there are a lot of white guys getting busted for violent crime up there and they put their mug shots on TV. Okay. There's a bigger black population in Charlotte. There's more crime, violent crime here in Charlotte than out there. And so you get to see more of these mug shots. But the decision to publish those mug shots, and we have this picture of the person that got arrested. People started getting mad about that. So they started taking that down. People started getting mad about listing witness or uh, suspect descriptions. So they start just saying, uh, this guy robbed a bank. Be on the lookout for a six-foot male wearing a hoodie and a mask. Okay. Is he a black male, white male, Hispanic male? But I can't say that because, you know, racism or something. Well, if you're looking for somebody who's wanted for a crime, the racial description would help. Just throwing that out there. Now, once you arrest the person, I don't care. I don't need to know their racial, unless it's somehow important to the crime. But bank robber gets arrested. Doesn't matter to me. You don't have to say a black man was arrested for a bank robber. You, you don't need that. And maybe some reporters used to do that, but I never saw any of that stuff going on when I was a reporter and I was consuming media reports all day. There's not any, it was never part of the story. Looking for a suspect? Yes. Suspect in custody? No. Seems pretty straightforward. Softball field in Washington, D.C., in the suburb, June 14, 2017, a lone gunman used a rifle to spray bullets indiscriminately at members of the House GOP that had gathered for their usual Saturday morning practice for an upcoming charity game. The then House Majority Whip, Representative Steve Scalise, was shot in the hip while standing on second base. He almost died, spent six weeks in the hospital undergoing multiple surgeries. Four other people were shot, including two members of the Capitol Police who were part of Scalise's security detail, also a GOP staffer and a lobbyist for Tyson Foods. The shooter, after engaging the police in a shootout, was killed. 66-year-old hardcore leftist who, less than six months into the Trump presidency, had sought to kill GOP lawmakers based on his belief that Republicans were corrupt traitors, fascists, and Kremlin agents. The writings he left behind permitted little doubt that he was driven to kill by the relentless messaging that he heard from his favorite cable news host, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, along with other virulently anti-Trump pundits, such as Democracy Now! host Amy Goodman. He also was a big fan of Real Time with Bill Maher. His Facebook posts dating back to 2012 
show he was steeped in left-wing politics, talks about uh, tax hikes on the rich, universal health care. In fact, that's what he screamed as he opened fire. This is for health care. Nobody rational or decent, though, in 2017, in the wake of the shooting, writes Glenn Greenwald, nobody rational or decent sought to blame the MSNBC host or Bernie Sanders, for whom this guy volunteered as a campaign worker, or anybody else whose political views that the the ball field shooter had agreed with. The reason for that is clear and indisputable. As strident and extremist as she is, Rachel Maddow has, has never once encouraged any of her followers to engage in violence to advance her ideology, nor has she even hinted that a mass murder of Republican traitors, fascists, and Kremlin agents against whom she rants on a nightly basis to millions of people. She never says that that's a just solution. It would be madness to try to assign moral or political blame to them. If we're if we're going to create a framework where prominent people are held responsible for any violence carried out in the name of an ideology that they advocate, then nobody is safe. Nobody, given all ideologies have their misfits. They all have their psychopaths. They all have their unhinged personality types. They all have extremists. Every single political philosophy, every single ideology, all of them. The same is true of a spate of mass shootings and killings by self-described black nationalists over the last few years. Yeah. It's not just the white nationalists shooting up Places where black people are, white nationalists have engaged in this kind of behavior too recently. The ideas that motivate them to murder multiple people, and he goes through the uh, series of examples, including police officers, is part of a core ideology. It's commonly heard in mainstream media venues. It's actually expressed by many, if not most, of the nation's most prominent liberals, depicting the cops as a white supremacist force, a force that is eager to kill black people, right? Grievances against perceived white dominance, anger over the white supremacist in uh, white supremacism that is endemic in America's system of governance. Right, all of these views you routinely hear on MSNBC, CNN, Democratic Party officials, the op-ed pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post, and everywhere. But nobody is trying to blame Chris Hayes or Joy Reid or Nancy Pelosi. The New York Times or any of the op-ed writers, nobody blames them for the black nationalist shooting sprees. No blame was assigned to anti-police liberal pundits whose views of American history is exactly the same as that of the most recent two black nationalist killers. Nobody blamed anti-police liberals for the same reason they don't blame Maddow or Sanders for the ball field shooter. There's a fundamental and necessary distinction between people who use words to express ideas and those who decide to go randomly, indiscriminately murder in the name of an ideology. There is a difference. Oh, and by the way, he says Tucker Carlson doesn't even espouse this same white replacement theory that the Buffalo shooter did. He says, look, it doesn't actually even matter for purposes of assigning blame, but just to be clear, it is utterly false to claim that Tucker Carlson's ideology, including on replacement, is the same as or even related to the views expressed by the killers in Buffalo or the one that the Buffalo shooter uh, was copying was the New Zealand shooter. 
Same, same replacement sickness in the mindset there. Carlson says that the priority of the U.S. government should be, should be protection of and concern for American citizens of all races. These two maniacs that murdered people, they believe and explicitly say that any non-white citizen is automatically an invader. And so they're not talking about protecting those people's rights. Carlson believes the exact opposite, that, that the proper citizenry of the United States is multiracial and that black Americans, Latin Americans, Asian Americans are every bit as much U.S. citizens with all of the same claims to rights and protections as everyone else. This is the exact opposite philosophy. Brett Winterbull's coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.